6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Nehemiah, chapters 3 through 5. Okay, we are in the book of Nehemiah, and as some of you may know, we have a little different format we're using to get ahead of the power curve for our production schedules. We're doing two sessions back-to-back. That's one reason we've abbreviated a few things. Uh, we're going to go for one, uh, probably a, a little less than an hour, I think it'll be, for session th- two of Nehemiah. Then we'll take a little ten-minute break, assuming there's a few cookies left, and then we'll go to a second session, because I know a lot of people have driven a long way from Maine and Michigan and where else, so we'll try to make it, we'll, we'll give you a double a double portion. That's a, so it is a Tuesday night, isn't that the day of double blessing? You betcha. So, but in any case, uh, um, we'll, we still should be out of here by 9.15 or so, I think, at the latest. Okay, the book of Nehemiah. Now, uh, we had the first session uh, behind us now. We only took two chapters because we, in chapter two of Nehemiah, it's pivotal from a strategic point of view in understanding your Bible because it's the trigger, if you will, to the 70-week prophecy of Daniel. And we reviewed that last time. And uh, But that review should not be in lieu of redoing a careful study of Daniel 9. One of the things you'll really want to do. But because of that, we just took two chapters last time. In this session, session two, we're going to take chapters three, four, and five of the book of Nehemiah. Now, you should re- you should understand, by the way, I think it'll become evident as we get into the chapter, that... Uh, this rebuilding of the walls. Now, understand, Ezra's burden was to rebuild the temple. And many people get confused about that because there were four different decrees, but three of them had to do with the temple. It's the, the decree that's critical from the Daniel 70-week prophecy point of view was the decree and the authority and so forth to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that's what the book of Nehemiah is really all about. There are spiritual in, uh, issues here too, and we'll try to uh, uh, pick up on those. But I also want you to understand that there's a major, major milestone because Gabriel told Daniel that from the authority to rebuild the city of the Jerusalem, the walls, unto the Messiah the prince, Messiah the king, I should say, the Mashiach Nagid, would be a precise number of days, and it turns out to come out to the exact day. And all that was in black and white three centuries before the ministry of Christ. And the Old Testament was translated into Greek three centuries before Christ's ministry. That is one of the most astonishing demonstrations of the deity of Jesus Christ. You say you can't prove the Bible. Yes, you can. You can prove the Bible. And that's one of the ways to do it. To establish uh, that that it was a part of the Old Testament in, in, in black and white, so to speak, uh, three centuries before the fact, and discover it comes out the exact day. It's, it's one of 300 details of Christ's ministry. But the prediction the exact day that he would present himself deliberately, riding a donkey as a king to Jerusalem, fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 and so on, is, is, is a astonishing, astonishing proof, if you will, and evidence of the reality of God's Word being what it is. It's supernatural, and it's all about Jesus Christ. But as we go on here, you should realize that Nehemiah's task that's before him is a very ambitious effort. It's going to require, he's going to operate under very adverse conditions, and we're going to look at the different conditions, the external conditions, the internal conditions, 
and the attacks on him personally. You're going to see as we get into this chapter, he assigned everybody specific work. And uh, uh, he's, it seems that he assigned a lot of this to make it convenient to where people were living. As you'll watch, you'll see expressions like next to him, next to them, and so forth. Some of these were near people's houses. Some of these people building the temple were commuters from some distance. And we'll take a quick glimpse at some of that. And he also does it by vocation. But let's just to give you a little bit of review, it, uh, they returned from the Babylonian captivity initially in 538 B.C. under Zerubbabel. Almost 50,000 came then. And it's 23 years later that the temple is finally rebuilt. And uh, it's uh, uh, 57 years after that that Ezra brings another 2,000. But the book of Ezra, of course, deals with this whole period. The book of Esther, which we don't attack, but just for your own perspective here, occurs uh, right in the middle, probably between about chapter 6 and 7 of the book of Ezra. And uh, it, again, it's a, a drama within the Persian Empire, a plot that was hatched to try to wipe out all Jews, and uh, that God uh, uses Esther to thwart. But we're now in the book of Nehemiah, 13 years after the, uh, the 2000 under Ezra, and he, he, the main thing he's equipped with is authority. He's very different than, than uh, Ezra in that regard. He is able to come with hard authority from the king himself. And that's his major uh, uh, difference. The, uh, all this occurs from uh, Nehemiah 2 on in the degree of Artaxerxes Langemanus, who was the successor to Xerxes, who was the king of the days of Esther and so on. But uh, So we're in uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 tonight, verse 1. And Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it, set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. The word Mia means a hundred, by the way, but anyway... And they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And next, to, and next unto him builded the, build, the men of Jericho, and next to them builded Zachar the son of Imri. I want you to notice that word Zarek, Jericho. Jericho is 20 miles uh, to the east. And yet there are people there that are helping from Jericho. Here is a map of the area. The red lines are the, the uh, traditional sites uh, uh, subsequently, if you will. But the uh, the uh, blue lines are the wall that we're dealing with in Nehemiah's time. There are 11 gates and four towers that are mentioned in this chapter. The Sheep Gate, the Tower of Mia, or the Tower of 100, and the Tower of Hananiel are up in the north side, as is the Fish Gate. And uh, just going around uh, counterclockwise, we come to the Old Gate, the Jishana Gate, and uh, the Tower of the Oven, as it's sometimes called, probably because there's bakery at the base of it or what have you the valley gate, and that's where Nehemiah started his search. When he came there the first time, he came out at midnight, he made the rounds of the city secretly to assess the situation. And the dung gate and the fountain gate being at the south end of the of the enclosure, the pool of Siloam being just inside the fountain gate, and the water gate, which is right near the Gihon Spring, and Hezekiah's tunnel connects it to the pool of Siloam. And then we have the great projecting tower, the horse gate, the east gate, inspection, finishing the circle, if you will. And uh, of the 11 gates, six of them uh, were repaired uh, expressly uh, in this chapter that we'll encounter as we move along. So we'll look, we'll glimpse at this from time to time to sort of get a feeling for what's happening. But it's interesting how Nehemiah uh, really had attention to detail. He's a great planner, but he also is a good executor. Uh, he dealt with a detailed geography, assigning everybody specifically what they should do, in some cases uh, near their houses, in some cases for the commuters. And also you'll see the, the vocational 
issues. The priests were assigned those things who were closest to the temple. The apothecaries, the Levites, the merchants all had specific assignments. We'll see that as we go through. It's interesting that we think of this as obviously occurring in Jerusalem, but we have Jericho, Mizpah, Gibeon, and Tekoa as cities that are around there by some distance, actually, that uh, are, are um, uh, uh, the location where some of the, some of the workers came a long way. They were commuters to, to work in the project. But moving on, verse 3, But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. And next unto them repaired the Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz. And next to them repaired Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Mesh, Meshezreel. And, uh, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Banana. Now, um, the, uh, we have a priest's son here who worked on the second section. And uh, uh, Meshullam's daughter is married to Tobiah's son. We're going to hear a lot about Tobiah. That's going to be a major part, especially in chapter 6. Um, but let's keep moving here. Um, there's the fish gate that was referenced. Uh, again, we're moving counterclockwise from the top up there. And un- next unto them came the Tekoites, repaired, the people from Tekoa, if you will. Remember, Tekoa was the hometown of Amos, you may recall. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. It was about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. They didn't have cars, so that's a long walk to come in, to work every day. And uh, yet they, uh, the nobles uh, here didn't help, but uh, they'll be uh, talked about later about verse 27 of this chapter. Okay, and moreover, the old gate repaired Jehida, the son of Basia, and uh, Meshalem, the son of Bosedia. You can mispronounce these better than I can. We'll just keep going. Uh, they laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof and the locks thereof and the bars thereof. Uh, establishing the doors to the gates, that's part of the getting, them, getting themselves some security from their enemies and so forth. And uh, we're going to talk about the old gate. Did we get the, let's see, did the... Uh, yeah, verse 6 referenced the, the oil gate, and that again, we're just moving counterclockwise, if I will, down the uh, western part of the portion of the wall there. <clears throat> okay, and next to them repaired Malatiah, the Gibeonite. Now, Gibeon again is about uh, some miles north of Jerusalem, northwest of Jerusalem. And uh, uh, Hadon, the uh, Maranathite, the men of Gibeon and of Mitzpah unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river. Mitzpah is also up there by Gibeon, not far away. So these are all small towns, settlements that are substantially north of the city of Jerusalem. In verse 8, next, to, and next unto him repaired Uziel, the son of Harahiah, the, of the goldsmiths. And uh, those goldsmiths is a vocation, not his New York name. I just you know, throw that out. And next, next unto him also repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries, or perfume makers, if you will, and they uh, fortified Jerusalem unto the broad wall. And the broad wall is... Uh, now, by the way, I should mention, uh, I constructed these maps from some of the commentaries, but I have to... It's pretty obvious that um, a lot of these locations are not precisely known. Some, A few of them are, but some of them are conjectural as they try to infer from various writings where these things were. So... Uh, just understand that there are some uh, different, you know, a lot of this is built on conjectures. Okay, in verse 9, and, un- and next unto them repaired Rephaiah, the son of Hur, and uh, the ruler of the half part of Jerusalem. Next unto them repaired Jedediah, the son of 
Harumaf, the even under, uh, even, even over against his house, and next unto him repaired Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah. Malachi, the son of Harim, and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired the older piece, excuse me, the other piece, and the tower of the furnaces. And next unto him repaired Shalom, the son of Halalesh, the, the um, ruler of the half part of Jerusalem, he and his daughters. The valley gate repaired Hanum and the inhabitants of Zanoah. They built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and a thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. So if you look at the valley gate, as you go, again, going down, if you will, south, going southerly along the western wall, the tower of the oven, the valley gate, right on down to the dung gate, which is the, the, the southern tip. Just in the dung gate, still there, we, we think we know where that is. But the dung gate is, uh, in effect, opens to the valley of Hinnom. And, uh, which is a dump and smoldering all the time, which gave, gave rise to the linguistic term Gehenna, which is the term Jesus used in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, speaking of an, an eternal situation, a very different situation, but that's where the vocabulary comes from. And just, uh, outside that tip to the west is the fountain gate, um, and, as it's called, and uh, north of it, the water gate. And, uh, uh, not shown on the map is, uh, uh, uh the, uh, Cajon Spring and the underground tunnel that Hezekiah had built before the Babylonian captivity that fed the pool of Siloam and so on. And so, okay, that gives you a rough picture. The valley gate's what we're talking about at this point. But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of beth Hakerem. Uh, he built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, the bars thereof. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalom, the son of Calhose, the ruler of the part of, uh, of Mis- pardon me, Mispah, in other words, the town of of Mitzpah is up north, but he is apparently one of the rulers that is here, and he's got his sleeves rolled up working. That's sort of the point here. You and I obviously have don't have a lot of equity to try to understand who, which families did what, except just take note of the fact that most of these people had other vocations, other professionals, but here they have their sleeves rolled up uh, working on the project of rebuilding the walls. Anyway, he built it, he covered it, set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, the bars thereof, and the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the king's garden, and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. Now, the city of David is south of all this. The city of uh, David is uh, uh, the part that David got from the Jebusite, sometimes called Ophel. But, uh, so again, we've been talking about the southern part there. Okay. Verse 16, After him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, the ruler of the half part of Beth-zur, unto the, pal- uh, under the place over against the sepulchres of David unto the pool that was made and unto the house of the mighty. Now when he says the sepulchres of David, it's not just David, but it's also his descendants. There's a, it's the royal uh, uh, thing. So after him repaired Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk. There's several Nehemiahs, be careful. There's not, they're not all the same as uh, Nehemiah. But anyway, the ruler of the half part of beth unto the place over and against the sepulchres of David. That's the royal, uh, the, the, uh, of the royal family. And uh, the pool was made and unto the house of the mighty. A, a, a house of the mighty is a place we assume is somehow linked, if you will, to the um, mighty men, the barracks, if you will, of David's elite corps, his uh, mighty men, as it's called in Second Samuel 23 and, and elsewhere. And after him repaired the Levites, Rehum, the son of Benai. Uh, next to him repaired um, Hashabiah, the ruler of the half part of Kailah, which is a town uh, in his part. And so, and after him repaired their brethren, Bevai, the son of Henadad, the ruler of the half part of Kila. And next to him repaired the Ezer, the son of Jeshua, or Joshua, if you want, and the ruler of Mitzpah, 
another piece over and against going up to the armory at the turning of the wall. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, earnestly repaired the other piece from the turning of the wall unto the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. So, so we have uh, Nehemiah recording the details of the execution of his, of his uh, plan. They rebuilt the wall in 52 days, which is really an astonishing thing. Now, understand they didn't build it from scratch. They're really repairing a wall that had been damaged uh, 70 years earlier when Nebuchadnezzar's um, attack. But still, that's a very ambitious project, especially when you realize they're doing this under adverse conditions, which we'll talk about in a little bit. After him repaired Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, another piece from the door of the house of Eliashib, even at the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him repaired the priests, the men of the plain. After him repaired Benjamin and Hashab over against their house. And after him repaired Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, by his house. And after him repaired Benui, the son of Henadad, another piece from the house of Azariah unto the turning of the wall, even unto the corner. And Palal, the son of Uzziah, over and against the turning of the wall, the tower which lieth out from the king's high house, which was by the court of the prison. And after him, Bediah, the son of Parash. And moreover, the Nethanims. Now remember, the Nethanims, we think, was a, a current term for what used to be the Gibeonites that made the deal with Joshua and then became their servants, you may recall, from the book of Joshua. We think that... that uh, that's what we're dealing with here because they're obviously uh, subjected people that are really acting in service, but nevertheless glad to do so. So, moreover, the Nethanims uh, dwelt in Ophel unto the place over and against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. Uh, and after them, the Tekoites repaired another piece over and against the great tower that lieth out, even unto the wall of Ophel. And from above the horse gate repaired the priests, everyone over and against his house. So, this is again a... Uh, so that you know, brings you almost all the way around, in effect. And after them, Zadok, the son of Immer, over to get his house, and after him repaired Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate. After him repaired Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, another piece. And after him repaired Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, over against his chamber. Any questions so far? <laughs> You're getting all this, are you? Okay. Now, if you're asking me what's the spiritual value of this, you're probably as equipped as I am to try to understand it here. Basically, obviously, we don't have equity, uh, I think, in trying to understand all the families, the details, except to recognize this is a very detailed plan under very adverse conditions, and everybody had their sleeves rolled up uh, uh, participating in this project. Verse 31, after him repaired Malachiah, the goldsmith's son, unto the place of the Nethanims and of the merchants over and against the gate, uh, Mifgad, uh, and the going up of the corner. And between the going up of the corner and to the sheep gate, repaired the goldsmiths and the merchants. And so ends this detailed chronicle of the work assignments. Um, we have all kinds of details I can bore you with regards to the private houses that were all mentioned that were houses of the, the priests and so forth, and, the, and also houses mentioned including the priest, uh, uh, house, the uh, other priest's houses. The um, horse gate on the east wall may have been the, where the horses entered the palace area, but that's a speculation. There's all kinds of um, commentators all have sort of speculations, but they're guessing because it's, it's not clear. Uh, uh, even this room that's mentioned in verse 32, going to the corner of the sheep gate, uh, uh, um, it's a, it's a room above the corner of the room on the wall. The purpose, we don't know what it's for. And, of course, the sheep gate brings us back to where we started, basically. So that brings us to Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, the, uh, 
You know, you'd get the impression from chapter 3 that Nehemiah assigned all these things and everything went very smoothly. It's a summary. Did things go smoothly? No, not so. God's work rarely goes forward without opposition. So part of what we're going to be starting to recap here um, is some of the environments. That was sort of a forward look of what was accomplished by whom. But uh, it, it ignores what's about to be uh, uh, evident, namely the, um, the uh, um, oppression that they're getting. Anyone that doesn't believe in Satan should just try opposing him for a while. And that uh, will take care of itself. But anyway, we're in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we are going to jump into verse 1. It came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, notice the we, see Nehemiah is this first person, that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. Now, I'll come back to the word Jews here in a minute, but let's just finish with verse 2 here. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Bear in mind, these, these, the, the rubbish is, is also charred because it, was, it wasn't just torn down, it was burned, the, the, the place. But uh, Sanballat, of course, doesn't understand that they have the authority from the king. That's something that isn't clear to him yet. And he's mocking him. These feeble Jews, what are they gonna do? they're going to fortify themselves? Or would they think they're going to you know, be independent? And will they sacrifice? That doesn't turn them on. Will they make an end in a day? No, it'll be about 52 days. So that'll be a surprise. And will they revive the stones out of the heaps and, and so forth? A couple of things I want to talk about before we go on. I want you to notice all through Ezra and Nehemiah, there's a subtle insight that I'd like you to satisfy yourself through your own study is correct. You notice in verse 1 he speaks that he mocked the Jews. And I, I, I just want to clear up some... You hear people make a, try to make a distinction between the Jews and the Israelites. They build this on the, the, the idea that the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria back in a couple of centuries earlier, and the southern kingdom went into captivity. It was the house of Judah. And they try to argue that the word Jews means just is restricted to the southern kingdom, the house of Judah, which includes Benjamin, by the way. Okay. Um, and this all gets, this all gets sort of mangled up with this theory that there's ten lost tribes. That's colorful. There's a lot, it's in the literature, not in the biblical literature. Biblical, uh, it's not biblical. I want to show you why. Uh, after the Babylonian captivity, if you study your Bible, you'll discover the terms Jew and Israelite are used interchangeably. Linguistically, they echo the northern south kingdoms, I suppose, but they're used interchangeably by almost everybody. Ezra calls the returning remnant that comes back under his thing, the Jews, eight times. He calls them Israel 40 times, interchangeably. He also calls them all Israel in, in uh, at least four or five places. So this idea that there's ten lost tribes is not known to Ezra. He's, uh, he's not aware of that. Nehemiah also speaks of the Jews 11 times and Israel 22 times, interchangeably. Uh, he speaks in, uh, in chapter 12, he's going to make the point that all Israel is back in the land. That is, representatives of all the tribes are among them. And uh, partly because when they split up back under Jeroboam I, 
The faithful migrated south and commingled with the house of Judah to the south were those that were faithful to the temple worship of all tribes. Don't confuse the genealogy of the tribe with the geography that was assigned to them under Joshua. They're different issues. You see, just, just as, just as I might say you're a Californian because you live in California, or you could be a Californian because your genealogy is associated. Of course, we don't assign the land by genealogy, but you get the, in other words, the term can be ambiguous. If, if you say uh, Ephraim, you may mean the geography, or it's also an idiom used for the northern kingdom. It doesn't mean that everybody up there was of the tribe of Ephraim, as an example. But let's move on. Malachi, closes the Old Testament, speaks of the remnant as the nation, all through his book, his prophecies. Let's go to the New Testament. Remember Anna in Luke 2? She knew her tribal identity was up to the tribe of Asher. These people knew what their linkages were. Paul. He knew he was in the tribe of Benjamin, which would be considered a Jew, because he's in the southern kingdom. But he, in Romans 11.1, he's, uh, he's also calls himself an Israelite, both. In the New Testament, the word Israel is used 75 times, the word Jew 174 times, and again interchangeably. And the Feast of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter cries in Acts chapter 2, verse, four, in verse 14, Ye men of Judea, and a few verses later, ye men of Israel. He's not causing a distinction, he's using the synonyms. And he finishes a few verses later speaking to the whole, all the house of Israel. And by the way, so does James and, and uh, Peter and so forth. So uh, uh, this distinction, the reason I emphasize this, it causes confusion. People build theories on, the, on a presumed distinction here. And I can tell you, can't, one reason it's dangerous, you'll discover that most anti-Semitic literature leans heavily on this. So it seems like it's just some innocent definition issues. It's more dangerous than that. And uh, if you get into into that, I won't take the time here to chase all those things down. Just All I want to do is sensitize you to the issue. And if someone starts making a distinction between Jew and Israelite, be cautious. Because I'm going to suggest to you uh, that it's not biblical, but I want you to do your own study and come to your own conclusions. But also recognize that it can lead to some strange heresies. Not in and of itself. It seems to be a foundation of quicksand to build on. So... Let's move on. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Nehemiah. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.